Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday to all of you out there listening today. This is Arizona Sports Saturday, your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. Mitch and Steve. I'm Mitch. He's Steve. Trevor Henry behind the glass today. We got you for two hours here in the Auction Community Studio. It is the Saturday before championship weekend in the NFL, Steve. It sure is. Uh, we've got two very important games. Obviously, we're going to get into each of those today on the show. Uh, we're going to get you all prepped for those, as well as what eventually will be the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks here in Glendale, Arizona. Um, but we kind of felt that it was most important to go through and evaluate where we're at with the Arizona Cardinals coaching search. That's where we're going to start today's show and just kind of run through what we know and kind of try to put some of the pieces together of this massive puzzle that is figuring out the direction of this organization. It's a big old thousand-piece puzzle that we're working with right here. So let's try and recap the whole week as best as we can off the top of our heads. So we know that now two names are for sure out of the seven candidates that the Cardinals have already previously talked to. Two are out. Frank Reich is now the head coach in Carolina. That's one. And then the other one is Dan Quinn. The defensive coordinator has opted to return to Dallas to be their defensive coordinator for the third straight year. So he is out as well. I thought that was particularly interesting because they brought it up with Jerry Jones. Or no, not Jerry Jones. uh, McCarthy after uh, this week at at availability. And he gushed over Dan Quinn. And just the fact that they're getting him back and how amazing that was for the organization. And then when they said, hey, what about Kellen Moore, your offensive coordinator? Are you bringing him back? And he goes, well, we're evaluating him like all the other coaches. And I was like, well, that seems like a big difference from the way you just treated Dan Quinn. So uh, great for Dallas in terms of getting Dan Quinn back. And that defense in Dallas is really, really good. Well, Dallas needs that same staff so they can be an early playoff exit next year, too. I, I just think Dan Quinn was very, very comfortable where he was and didn't necessarily feel the need for another head coaching job right now. And he'll probably be another really good candidate next year and in the coming years. I think another big part of it for Dan Quinn is that, one, he emphasized he likes being there. Two, there's not nearly as much pressure to be a head coach there and maybe part of that three he didn't like any of the options that were out there who can blame him like if you're firing your head coach you weren't a good team or the likelihood is that you were not a good team the year prior so maybe he just wanted to stay put where he was i don't blame him so there's five candidates left that have been interviewed i should clarify or reportedly have been interviewed D'Amico ryan's the defensive coordinator of san francisco who has not been allowed to talk to anybody this week by nfl league rules He's not allowed to talk to anybody while he's still participating as a coach. He has not interviewed yet, right? I thought it was reported that he did. Didn't he schedule an interview with oh, the Cardinals right. on game day? And, and then, then it canceled. was reported that he either canceled it or moved it. So I guess technically he hasn't So he might with them he yet. might still be a candidate. We found out that they requested permission to interview him, and that may still happen after the game this weekend. But, right. um, but I don't think the Cardinals have actually talked to D'Amico Ryans yet. That's a good point. So let's put that one on the back burner. I find that very, very interesting. He's on the list of reported, we would like to talk to him candidates. Then. Right. So but let's we don't know it. if they've actually talked to him yet. You've got the in-house guy, Vance Joseph, the defensive coordinator of the Cardinals, has been for the four years that Cliff Kingsbury was the head man. You've got Brian Flores, who is, by the way, not going to be getting the job in Atlanta. They hired their new D.C., So either Brian Flores will return to Pittsburgh. He interviewed with Minnesota for their defensive coordinator position. And then he interviewed with the Cardinals for their head coach position. So there's that. 
And then there's Sean Payton, of course, who's the name that comes to everybody's minds in this search. It's at the top of everybody's like, oh, my gosh, wouldn't it be great to get Sean Payton? Everybody was going nuts when he had his in-person interview on Thursday. He was here a long time, too. And then apparently took off all day. And then apparently took off rather quickly after the day was done. Well, I mean, what are you going to do, right? Well, there were there was a picture that he was out with Jason Garrett and a local Dallas sports writer at a uh, at a dinner Dude, at, a, at a very small table to have a dinner. By the way, have you? I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever interviewed for a job out of state? Have you ever done that? No. So I did it once. I interviewed for a job in Denver, Colorado. Actually, your hometown and somewhere that I lived yeah, when I, know, I was a kid. I know that place. Uh, I interviewed for a job in Denver, and it was so weird. Because they said, hey, we want to interview you in person. Great. That sounds good. How do we do that? And they said, we're going to fly you out in the morning and then we'll fly you home that night. Oh, that was nice. I had them. never done the, like the same day round trip kind of thing. And I remember being at the airport and what's obviously it's different for somebody the level of Sean Payton versus me as like a 25 year old or whatever. Um, but I remember what was so weird is going through security at the airport and thinking, I don't have anything with me. I don't have a bag. I, I don't have to pack clothes. You know what I mean? So yeah. So the quick turnaround to me isn't really surprising. I mean, a lot of these candidates are just flying all around the country right now, especially a guy like with the pedigree of Sean Payton. He's all over the place and reportedly went to Dallas after he came to Arizona. And then the last known candidate that has interviewed, I believe he's interviewed, Ijero Rivera, the Broncos defensive coordinator, which feels less likely now based on reports. But you know what? Who can say? It feels like every day during this week it was – oh, this candidate is going to be the guy for the Cardinals job, and then Dan Quinn decides that he wants to stay in Dallas, or we hear more traction about Sean Payton's in-person interview, or there's a lot of connection between Brian Flores and Monty Austin for it, and he's probably just going to hire him anyway. But we don't really know. Like, we're left with these names, and then we're left with the wrinkle that maybe they're not even done. Maybe they haven't interviewed the guy that they're most interested in yet. Did you mention Aaron Glenn, too? That's right. I forgot about Aaron Glenn. Aaron Glenn, defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. Here's the difficulty I have with Aaron Glenn. I don't know anything about the guy. He might be the most personable guy you'll ever meet. He might be the greatest dude, greatest coach even. I've heard a lot of people say that, like Dan Campbell, when he was hired, remember, he wasn't a coordinator either. He was just a tight ends coach. So Dan Campbell, they hired him because of his leadership ability, because guys wanted to run through a wall for him. And And I've heard the same about Aaron Glenn. The problem is... I don't know how you could justify that hire to the Cardinals fan base when the Detroit Lions defense was as bad as they were this past season. Well, what do you think is more justifiable, him or Vance Joseph as your next head coach? I think Vance is probably... In terms of purely the job that they've done in the role that they were tasked with. I think Vance is more justifiable because he's been here. He has the respect of the players already. In terms of the fan base, I mean, you and I have talked about this before. Vance Joseph has never had a top 10 scoring defense in his entire time running as a DC or a head coach. Running a defense, never had a top 10 defense in scoring defense. And I don't believe Aaron Glenn has either. I I, I haven't checked into that, but I mean, just based it on last season. It has not been great in Detroit, tell not me, even this year. Yeah, tell me what you know about the Detroit Lions last season. They were fun to watch on offense, and they were god-awful on defense. Yeah, they got better, but they were... So far behind from the get-go, they fell all the way to one and six, and then eventually they pushed it to get to what was it nine and eight. So but, I just I can't yeah. see that one being justified to the fans. Evero, 
it, it, it's kind of unfair to put this on him, but to hire a guy away from the disaster that was the Denver Broncos is also hard to justify. Clearly not his fault in Denver. It was far from his fault. No, it was five Nathaniel Hackett's this fault. Year. And Russell Wilson and whatever disconnect they had going on there, that's their fault. Right. But Evero, fairly or unfairly, will be tied to that in this hiring cycle. Clearly, he got an interview anyway because he deserved it. I'm glad that he's getting his name out there. Maybe they do end up hiring him. But at the same time, I find that to be harder to justify than some of these other candidates like Brian Flores or Sean Payton in particular. What kind of an endorsement would you need to convince yourself that it has to be Sean Payton or that it should be Sean Payton? Would you go as far as to say, like, man, I'm interested, but I'm not sure about the compensation, the trade, how much I'm we have to sure pay about him? The compensation. I'll tell you what. Would a Larry Fitzgerald endorsement do it for you? Uh, it doesn't hurt. Well, let him speak for you. He was on Bickley Murata yesterday. It means it's really it's, it's a no-brainer. I mean, if you if you really want to build the foundation for success for for a very long time, I mean, Sean Payton has done that um, for quite a while in, in New Orleans and, and years before then. He's a he is a um, he's a franchise changing aspect. Right, um, and yeah, he's he's going to be expensive. You have to get compensation up to New Orleans Saints, but like if you're trying to change, um, you know, the conversation, you know, he's he's the guy that you know has the ability to do that. That's how a lot of people feel. And hey, here's an interesting question that we may never know the answer to: Do you think Michael Bidwell has consulted Larry Fitzgerald in this process? Oh, 100 percent. He's not that far removed from his playing days. Let's not, not forget. Not for, hey, Larry, tell me who's good at coaching. We all know Sean Payton's good at coaching. That part of what he said, nobody needed to hear that. But that Larry also just naturally has that relationship with Michael, right? True. Larry was the very much face of the Cardinals for two decades nearly. He's the greatest Arizona Cardinal of all time. No question. There's no question about it. And his relationship with Michael Bidwell has probably stood out more so than a lot of other great Cardinals in history. Like, I'm sure his relationship with Kurt Warner was fine. I'm sure his relationship with Carson Palmer was fine, right? Like, there's plenty of guys in Cardinals history that have had a good relationship with Michael Bidwell. None more so than Larry Fitzgerald, in my opinion. I think even more important than the endorsement of Larry Fitzgerald is, in my opinion... You didn't need his endorsement in order to hire a candidate. But if he came to you and said, you cannot hire this guy for whatever reason, you this guy did this and that to some other player that I know about, or I had this experience with this person, he's not the right fit, that's when you your ears perk up and you listen. That didn't happen in this case. He obviously threw his uh, weight behind Sean Payton, and I, don't, I think a lot of players in the league probably would do that. Um, yeah doesn't hurt to have the endorsement of the greatest player in your franchise's history. Now, there's reports that have come out in the recent days, more more of these from yesterday. Ian Rappaport was on the Pat McAfee show. In general, in focusing on Sean Payton, Rappaport was asked what options still remain for Sean, because he could just end up going back to TV. Here's what Rappaport said. Arizona, he was at yesterday. Sounds like that went well. And as of right now, it sounds like that is still a possibility and still in play. And I know we talked about a couple weeks ago that that one, to me, made a lot of sense, even though I think a lot of people are like, oh, Michael Bidwell with the big salary and the draft picks, like, I think there's, you know, Arizona is, I think, was interested in Frank Reich, was interested in Dan Quinn, not getting either of them. Sean Payton, 
We'll see, but that would make some sense. And then I think at Denver, he has not been eliminated there. You know, I know they like D'Amico Ryans a lot, um, but he's still in play there as well. So I think there's, you know, might it lean toward returning to Fox now? I think maybe, but he's definitely still in play at two places. My first reaction is I, I feel like if I'm trying to put the pieces together here, I feel like D'Amico Ryans is still the big key in all of this. Obviously, his, his timetable is different because he's still alive in the playoffs with the 49ers. He's reportedly going to have second interviews with some other teams. I think the Broncos in particular really, really like him. Uh, I read a report from Mike Kliss, who's a Broncos insider in Denver, who suggested that he would be the favorite and top candidate. Uh, also, reportedly, the Texans have him listed as their top candidate. And I would think that would be a very attractive job for him, seeing as how that's the team where he cut his teeth as a player. It's amazing, too, because I would have thought Sean Payton would have been the fir- the needle to drop in all of this. Frank Reich we all would have hi- thought that, right? Frank Reich got hired, and I didn't necessarily feel like a massive ripple effect or a massive wave came crashing down on the coaching search. I would have assumed it was Sean Payton, and now, to your point, it feels like it's D'Amico Ryans. He's kind of the, see, the linchpin if that's the correct use of the word in all of this. Well, and it's a, two different races happening at the same time, both involving the Broncos, because it feels like the Broncos are down to, we want Ryans or Peyton, but the Cardinals are also in on Peyton, and the Texans are also in on Ryans. So if you're the Cardinals, you're just wanting to not be the last one to the table, because if you're the last one to the table, both those candidates might be off the table, and you're left over with one of those other options, which they might like, but at the same time, if you've got your guy in mind right now, Michael Bidwell needs to pounce soon. Coming up next, are you feeling buyer's remorse for DeAndre Ayton? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I think if I told most of you that DeAndre Ayton had a game where he scored 19 points and had 20 rebounds, you'd say, that's pretty good. Unless you watch the game. (laughs) Then you realize, oh, that was not great at all. 19 points, 20 rebounds, including seven offensive boards. Again, on the surface, pretty good. Then you dig a little deeper. Six for 20 from the floor. Uh, missed the only three-pointer he took, although I, I'm not really a fan of DeAndre Ayton getting beyond the three-point arc. I mean, like, whatever. Seven of ten from the free-throw line is not bad for him. Uh, it, it was the effort that everyone seems to have the biggest issue with. The loose balls, uh, the fact that he couldn't bring in... I mean, he probably should have had, realistically, 25-plus rebounds in this game. A couple that just got away from him. And it's that issue that we always seem to come back to with DeAndre Ayton, and it's the inconsistent effort. The talent has never been questioned. DeAndre Ayton was talented enough to be taken number one overall. I don't think that that's in question at all. It's just the fact that he looks like that talent maybe one out of every two or three games. And even in the games where he's most impressive impressive statistically, like this four-point loss to the Dallas Mavericks the other night, even though that's probably his best game in a while, it's also one of his worst when you look at the effort. Look, you made the point. If you're just looking from afar, you're like, 19 and 20, what are we complaining about? Yeah. Normally, we're, I wouldn't complain. We're complaining about 19 for nineteen and 20 on 6 of 20 shooting. Nine of those attempts, by the way, missed in the paint, which he doesn't normally miss. I get it. He just came off from having the flu, but at least, like, 
if you're going to be out there for 31 minutes, at least try. There was the sequence. I don't know if you remember specifically as well as I do, but it went around on Twitter a few uh, multiple times in the past couple of days. There was a sequence, a couple of uh, three-point attempts from Ish Wainwright, where DeAndre Ayton just kind of like watched the ball and watched everybody else hustle for the rebound. And then back on the other end, it was a, it was a fast break. And if it wasn't for Ish Wainwright kind of swatting the ball away, Aiton just kind of like, and then on the next possession, Ish shot another three attempt, and Aiton just kind of watched it again. And then they call timeout, and you see Booker from the bench. He takes like one of the earlier spots in the bench, despite being hurt, beeline straight to Aiton. And you have to imagine it's a conversation of like, dude, what are you doing? You're not trying. You in reality, he probably could have had like 30 rebounds in that game if he'd actually tried. And he got 20. But it's amazing how little effort he's putting in, albeit, I get it, coming back from a sickness. But okay, if you're still not feeling great after being sick, why are you playing 31 minutes? Some guys just have talent out the wazoo. And that makes up for, I don't know if it's a lack of drive or what I call the second gear. A lot of players can get into a second gear. We've seen it from Torrey Craig. He had a 20-point game a couple of nights ago. Uh, we've seen that second gear from Chris Paul his entire career. We've seen it from Mikel Bridges at times, by the way, who played 42 minutes. That guy, yeah. he's a 40-minute-a-night guy every night. Most of these players on the team have a second gear, or at least in the starting rotation. And I don't think Aiton really has it. And if he does, he doesn't get into it very No, you often. know what? He does. And I think this is what frustrates me the most. He does have that second gear. Because we've seen it for long stretches during the 2021 playoffs. It's there. So why is it not always there? Or why is it not, to your point, why is it only one out of every, like, five? Instead of, you know, four out of every five. Why are we being selective with this? I don't understand. Well, and I think part of the narrative, too, is you're playing the Dallas Mavericks and you're playing Luka Doncic. Without Luka Doncic! Right. You're playing the team with Luka, I guess I should say, who widely has, understandably, you can look back in Monday morning quarterback this thing and say they should have taken Doncic. He's the better player at this point in their careers. That's totally fair to say. But at the same time, we don't evaluate all these other guys who got taken number one overall and evaluate them the way we do Aiton. I don't have number one overall pick expectations of DeAndre Aiton anymore. I gave up on that. Maybe I gave up on him earlier than most people have. By the way, when you talked about buyer's remorse in terms of the contract, it's not my money, so how much do I really care? But from a fan's perspective, should they feel buyer's remorse? I think the team got stuck with Aiton. They didn't go to they, Aiden in the offseason and got say themselves stuck. They didn't go to him with a blank check and say, "Hey, we think you're great. Here's what we want you for." They waited until somebody else, the Pacers, came along and said, "We know you. We're basically just kind of screwing you over by uh, giving him an offer sheet, but that's what we're going to do." And the Suns got stuck with it. Either lose the asset for nothing, or you keep him on this lesser contract. That's what they did. You said the Suns got stuck with it. I see it more as the Suns got themselves stuck with it. Whether it's deciding not to pay him in the final year of his rookie deal, deciding not to trade him at the most opportune time to make somebody else have to deal with the RFA that next summer, and then immediately letting him try and get that max deal that he wanted and then feeling like, oh, well, we can't let him go. we got to pay him. we gotta, we got to match this max deal. And now here we are again wondering whether or not we should have just let him go. 
So that's what I mean by buyer's remorse. And more, if you want to go even deeper with it, Indiana's had a pretty good season this year. And a big part of their success has been the way Miles Turner has played. And I don't think they would have gotten that same production out of Miles Turner if DeAndre Aiden had been signed to that max deal. So then you're wondering, why did you even bother to go this route when you're getting, if not better, production out of a combination of like Dario Saric, Jock Landale, and Bismack Biombo because they just fit the offensive scheme better. Remember when there were trade deadline rumors a few years ago that they were looking into an, a trade that would involve DeAndre Ayton for DeMontis Sabonis? Yep. Which, interestingly, I, if I remember right at the time, would have been Indiana, right? Yep. And Indiana is the team that ended up offering the offer sheet yep. to DeAndre Ayton. Yep. Sabonis is now having arguably the best year of his career. He's going to be an all-star. In Sacramento. He might be second team All-NBA this year. He's been in the league, what is this, eight seasons now? Eight, eight or nine seasons? He's 26. That's remarkable. Aiton's about the same age, if I'm not so mistaken. So seven years. Seven, I guess it's seven years or maybe eight years. But, my goodness, 18 points a night. 12 and a half rebounds. He's leading the league in rebounding. That trade, I mean, I know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But if that had happened, oh boy, with what he's done in Sacramento, turning that team from basically a nothing burger into a playoff contender... That would have worked out all right. Big part of it's him. A big part of it is helping De'Aaron Fox. But I agree with you. Like, DeMontis Sabonis has been a big key in their success. Would Sabonis have worked out here if there's such an emphasis on the two-guard front? Like, I don't think so. You never know. But it's very clear that Aiton doesn't work in this offense the way that everybody was hoping he would. Maybe it's just because he's not built that way, as the expression goes. I don't know. What's frustrating is I don't even need him to score 20 points tonight, Aiton. I, I don't even need that much offense from him. And I know that's defense. what he was really good at in college, but if he was just an excellent defender at the rim and a really good rebounder with good effort and played defense, that would be more than enough for me. Because of Booker, because of Paul, because of Bridges and Johnson, like because of the other pieces that fit so well in this offense, if he had just been a really great defender, if he had the effort level of Bismack Biombo, if you could fuse those two guys into one player. We made this argument Ugh. ages ago with Rashawn Holmes, remember? Rashawn Holmes would have come off the bench and it's like, oh my goodness, where is this energy? And if he only gave it to you for 10 minutes, that's fine. Yeah. That's it was all you needed. Thing, it was the same thing with JaVale McGee last year. Yeah. Here, do you want the statistics that basically prove your point? So... I'm going to try and explain this as quickly as I can without skimping on the details. This is from 10 days ago, but Aiden's only played like four games since, so I can't imagine that the statistics have changed much. How opposing teams shoot in the restricted area when a player is on versus off the court. The restricted area, for those of you that don't know, is basically the paint. A prime example of a really good rim defender and a restricted area defender, Rudy Gobert. He is allowing just 61.49% of makes, but when he's off, it's 66.74% made. So he's impacting by about 5%. And then the percentage of times that shots are being taken in the restricted area goes from 28% when he's on the floor to 35 when he's off, a difference of 7%. People are more inclined to shoot down low because he's not there. Because he's not there, exactly. Here's DeAndre Ayton's. The opponent restricted area field goal percentage when the player is on is at 69.5%. 
when he's off, it's at 64.3%. So the Suns are better defensively in the paint when he's not on the floor. It's an increase of 5%. Or I guess, in his sense, in his sense a decrease of 5 The amount of times that, that the restricted area has seen shots when he's on, 30.57%. When he's off, 30%. It's the same amount of shot attempts, and they're making more of them when he's on the floor. That's bad. That's really, really bad. For me, again, it just comes back to it's a good game. 19 points, 20 rebounds, statistically. But when you start to dig into it, and it's that effort that we... Maybe you're right. Maybe he does have a second gear. He just doesn't know how to get into it. At least not with any sense of regularity. Coming up next, uh, we're going to get you all set for the AFC Championship game. We're going to dive into these games separately. And we're going to tell you everything you need to know leading into that one. That's coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldes, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Mitch Ferreldes, Steve Zinsmeister, we're here. This is the big voice said. Normally, we do a segment at 1145 that goes around the NFL during the NFL season, but Steve and I talking about it today, we've... We agreed it didn't really make sense to do an around the NFL when there's just two games. It's only two. Because then we're we're probably just doing it for like four minutes. It's not like it's super wild card no. weekend. No. Remember no, when they called it that? No super basomatic wild card weekend or anything like that. We're down to four teams, and the winner of each of these games are going to come here for the next you know week and a half. They're going to be here in Arizona getting ready for the big game on the... 12th or 13th. I can't remember the exact date of February. Don't hate me for it. I apologize. The 12th. They'll be here on the 12th for the big game. Starting in the AFC, which look, both of these matchups have a lot of intrigue, Steve, but this one has got like some big old beef stew cooking right now. It's getting very, very spicy. The Cincinnati-Kansas City rivalry is budding. No doubt about it. It is. It feels in full bloom almost. You know what it is? quarterback driven and no offense to either of these two teams coaching staffs the defenses they're phenomenal as well you don't get to this point in the season in the playoffs without that right um in fact the Bengals single-handedly won a game defensively but here we are it's Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes yes that's the headline you have a Super Bowl winning quarterback with an MVP probably the best young quarterback in the NFL. I think most people would say Patrick Mahomes. Might win MVP again this year. He might. Then you have Joe Burrow, who is the ever underdog in not only this game, but in life. Feels like it, yeah. He was the backup quarterback at Ohio State who wasn't going to get a shot and lost out to Dwayne Haskins, who, by the way, was also a very good quarterback at college. Transfers to LSU. At a time when there was a lot of questions about LSU, they have, he probably had the single greatest college football season a quarterback's ever had, wins the Heisman, goes number one in the draft. Oh, yeah, he won a championship. This is one of the greatest college players of all time. Yeah. Goes pro, has this incredible, uh, well, I shouldn't say incredible, this terrible injury where he has to miss basically an entire year. Yeah. Comes back, goes to the Super Bowl. With a team that nobody expected to go to the Super Bowl. Didn't like start the year well or anything like that either. They just, they kept winning. If Joe Burrow's able to go not only back to the Super Bowl this year, but if he's able to win it this year, 
he might have the most incredible individual story that a quarterback has had. And that's with Brock Purdy in the picture, too, who is the last pick in the draft. And I know we'll talk about him a lot more later, but there's so much great quarterback-driven narrative to this game alone, and you don't need much else to really make it special. Now, quarterback-driven narrative is there, and a big part of this quarterback-driven narrative has been what happened to Patrick Mahomes last Saturday. Of course, the high ankle sprain, as uh, Andy Reid confirmed earlier in the week. However, he's not looking like he's got a high ankle sprain based off of just like the general videos that have been going around on Twitter. He looks like he's going to be ready to go. And they've confirmed that he's going to start on Sunday. Like, uh, what? He's going to just pass this up? Are you kidding me? No there way. There was never a chance he was going to sit. So it's going to be a quarterback battle for the ages. It's also going to be Mahomes as an underdog, if I'm not mistaken. He's, I'm sure that the lines are still not very much in his favor. Mahomes is an underdog in his home stadium. It doesn't happen all that much. I Listen, I know I said earlier that Joe Burrow's the ever underdog. I truly believe that. Even with this whole thing... Being at home, Mahomes, Even Andy just outside Reed. of that, he's been buried by Mahomes v. Allen ever since he entered the league. That's, and yet Joe Burrow has been to more Super Bowls than Josh Allen. That's another interesting aspect of this. I'm glad you brought that up. The Bills and Chiefs was supposed to be the big rivalry. It was supposed to be. It's been building over the last couple of years. And Joe Burrow and the Bengals just weaseled their way into that rivalry. They were like, no, it's us. They're like, move, wake up, America. It's, it's me. us. It's not them. It's not Josh Allen. It's not the Bills. Look over here. We're, we're going to the Super Bowl, not them. You bring up a great point, man. That that was supposed to be the rivalry. In general, all three of them are very talented quarterbacks, very special They're all good in their own right, yeah. But like the one thing missing right now from Josh Allen's mantle that the other two have is a trip to the big game. Well, Mahomes has won the thing. Yeah. Mahomes is just, in general, he's just had a dominance over the AFC. I want to get into the spiciness, though, because this game is starting to get spicy. So as the Bengals were winning against Buffalo, they trounced Buffalo in Buffalo in a a blizzard, basically, or a mild blizzard. The phrase started to come about, see y'all in Burrowhead, (laughs) because Joe Burrow has never lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, Steve. Wow. Granted... I believe only one of those times has actually been in Arrowhead Stadium, but still, Burrowhead? Yeah, and it plays into, so like I saw the mayor of Cincinnati put out a video where he basically... Oh, I could play it for you. Oh, do you have it? All it's right, about a minute long, that. so let's just, let's oh, just kick back and listen to this glorious proclamation. Good afternoon, Cincinnati. I have a proclamation from the desk of the mayor. Be it proclaimed, whereas the Cincinnati Bengals are headed to Burrowhead Stadium for their second consecutive AFC championship game. Whereas at last year's game, the Bengals scored more points than the Chiefs, resulting in a Bengals victory and a Chiefs loss. Whereas Joseph Lee Burrow, who's 3-0 against Mahomes, has been asked by officials to take a paternity test confirming whether or not he's his father. Whereas all season long, Cincinnati has been on a path of destiny, fighting it out to overcome anyone who stands between them and a Super Bowl win. And whereas Kansas City is named after its neighboring state, which is, you know, just kind of weird. Now, therefore, I, Aftab Kirval, mayor of the city of Cincinnati, do hereby proclaim January 29th, 2023, as they got to play us day in Cincinnati. Thank you. Okay. 
He kind of sounds like Adam Scott. I'm all for trash talk, getting after it. This might be a bit much. This is ridiculous. A little too I cringy. Hate, I hate when politicians put themselves in the middle of things like that. Like, this is a fun game. We're all going to enjoy it. You had to go out and declare Joe Burrow needs to take a paternity test to see if he's Patrick Mahomes' daddy. Come on. I tell you what, it's not just the Bengals. So lame. It's not just the Bengals poking fun. This is from Chris Jones' presser earlier this week, the uh, Chiefs defensive tackle. What do you do now? You've got all the practice in. You've got almost two days to wait for this. What's tomorrow look like for you? Rest, uh, watch a little more film, uh, see what else I can pick up, and uh, eliminate all distractions. Take care. See y'all at Burrowhead. Burrowhead. <laughs> See, I but love I, this. I love. This. I like the Burrowhead thing. I don't like the mayor putting out a video of himself declaring dumb trash talk. Oh no, it's great because it's absolutely cringy. It's so cringy. That's what makes it great. Uh, you know what you should do if you're the mayor? You should wait until after the game when you beat them, then put out a okay, game but like then, that. Okay, but then it's Not like beforehand. The, the more important game is still the Super Bowl, right? You know how stupid you look if they go out and Patrick Mahomes throws for six touchdowns and beats the Bengals by 30? You know how stupid you look now? I'll be honest. How do you recover from a high ankle sprain in eight days? I don't know. In the regular season, you're out for four weeks. It's like, not like Patrick Mahomes is the most mobile quarterback to begin with. Well, n- the argument is is that he knows how to get out of trouble. He does. He doesn't get sacked very good a whole at lot. He's very good at it. He can buy time. Like does does he get hampered because of this ankle injury? I don't know. Probably. Did you see, did you see that his trainer tweeted out the? Um, I'm using air quotes. The X-rays of his ankle. Oh boy. So do you know the he got that dog in him meme? No, did they put a dog? They in put there? a dog oh, with with Mahomes' hair and his hair band. Oh, why are we doing this? So his ankle has got that dog in him. From Patrick Mahomes' personal trainer, by the way. There's uh, to Chris Jones' point. There's so much uh, distraction to this game. There's which way find, more distraction here than in the NFC. Which I find Can interesting because that? the first thing he says after eliminate all distractions is see y'all at Burrowhead. Yeah, I know. Which isn't that like it's the feeding big into distraction? It. Yeah, it's feeding into it. But I think that one's funny. It's just one word, right? And they're clearly like reacting to each other. That's cool. The mayor declaring a paternity test is dumb. Okay, there's the and f- just inserting himself. There's the fun and games. Well, then, how about Chiefs linebacker Willie Gay? What is it about that Bengals offense that maybe impresses you the most? You played it a few times. Nothing. Okay. Nothing. Nothing impresses me. Nothing. Nothing. I'm are a defensive sh- player. Nothing. Are you Are you sure about that, Willie Gay Jr.? I I wouldn't want to poke the Bengals offense, Bear. The most interesting thing that was said was somebody asked Joe Burrow. Do you watch film on the plane on the way there? And he said, no, nah, I'm, I'm pretty much done with film by then. Uh, I'm probably going to play Super Smash Brothers. I did see that. And they were like, and somebody even asked him, like, oh, who, what character Who's do you your use? your main, he's, is he the goes, phrase. He goes, Ness. And for any, it, this is probably too in the weeds for a lot of you people listening, but if you know anything about video games, you know that Joe Burrow is totally a Ness guy. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. He'll he'll PK thunder your ass all I've, over the place. I've never been less surprised in my entire life. Makes the most sense. But really quickly, before you get out, who wins? I'm kind of hoping the Bengals do. Hoping or thinking? Uh, hoping. I'm thinking the Chiefs do. That's what my head tells me, but my heart tells me not to give up on Joe Burrow. Here's going to be never doubt the Bengals. Here's going to be my argument. Did you think the Bills or the Bengals were going to win last week? Well, I picked the Bengals. Last week. 
Okay. Yeah. Here on the show. Were you there? You were there. I also picked the Bengals yeah, on the show. Yeah, you also picked the Bengals. Or did I? I think we both did. Look, I'm just going to pick the Bengals again, and the factors being that I don't know who's stopping this team on this winning streak right now. And again, a high ankle sprain is not something you just recover from in eight days. I'm sorry. I even, know. Even if you shot his leg up to hell, there's no way eight days is enough time. I know we're going to talk about the NFC Championship game later, but I think Joe Burrow versus Brock Purdy is the perfect Super Bowl narrative. Oh, it's Because no matter who wins, there's an incredible story there. It'll be glorious. It'll be glorious. Coming up next, the absolute latest on the Arizona Cardinals coaching search. It's a bit of a puzzle, but we'll try to put some of those pieces together next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, we're trying to put the pieces together here. I haven't worked on a thousand-piece puzzle in a long time, though, so give me some... Give me some time, would you, Steve? Yeah, no problem. Those things are a pain in the butt to epoxy, by the way, if you want to hang them on the wall. <laughs> just want to throw that out I there. just I just shove them into like a frame and then put the frame up, and then I'm good. The puzzle we're talking about is the Arizona Cardinals coaching search. Still looking for a head coach. There's a couple of teams out there still looking, notably the Broncos, F- so Texans. Five, five teams had openings that we know of. There's, right. There could be another. We don't know. Five teams had openings. One is filled. Carolina is done. They've hired Frank Reich, the, so he's former off the table. Indianapolis coach. Can we can we start there for a sec? Did you want Frank Reich? I in said Arizona? last week on the show and I'll stand by this that the two most interesting candidates for the Cardinals in my opinion as of a week ago was Frank Reich because he was the offensive coach that wasn't going to cost you any draft picks like Sean Payton will and then also D'Amico Ryans. There's something about D'Amico Ryans that I, if they he doesn't become the Cardinals head coach, I'm gonna always be left wondering what if he just what could have been. He just screams like the next Brian Dayball to me. And what I mean by that is the guy who was really really good at his job in his previous destination, and he's just gonna come in and be the best damn coach that the world has seen for a first year head coach. To me, he's like he's kind of like Dan Campbell. Where we talked about earlier, Dan Campbell was tight ends coach, right? Correct. And he gets hired to be head coach. That doesn't happen very often. Not that much. That transition. And it was widely understood that Dan Campbell was just a leader. He was a a man's man. He was going to lead a group of men wherever it is he wanted to go. That's why he became the head coach of the Detroit Lions. And they're mm-hmm. on the up and up. Mixed with an incredible coordinator. Because D'Amico Ryans, in his own right, has formed one of the best defenses in the entire NFL the last two seasons in San Francisco. Yep. So he has the track record as a coordinator, has a phenomenal defense, which is his job, and he's that level of leader. D'Amico Ryans, to me, is probably the most intriguing candidate. But yeah, I was a fan of the idea of Frank Reich coming in and being the guy who could potentially mentor Kyler Murray to the next level. I was just curious because I think it's... An interesting move for Carolina, given what Frank Reich has had to go through the last few years of him as a coach or an offensive coach. He's had like a new quarterback every single year, literally. And here he goes again. Like, what is Carolina going to do as their as their quarterback? Sam Darnold's a free agent. You traded away Baker Mayfield after trading for him. PJ Walker's a free agent. You have Matt Corral, who was out for the full year with an injury, but you drafted him in the third round. 
and they have a top 10 pick this year. Are you just going to draft a quarterback again? I think Carolina is probably in the position to take a quarterback. They're hoping to be maybe the third quarterback off the board at that point. They want like the Will Levis or the Anthony Richardson guy that's going to be there. Well, okay, Anthony Richardson might be the fourth guy off the board. So I think I saw a Mel Kuyper mock draft the other day that had Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson all in the top ten. Now here's the caveat. His had no trades. No, not that I remember. Kuyper didn't make any trades. So he had the Bears taking at one... And then, obviously, the Texans at two, the Cardinals at three, etc. There could be movement. So, if I recall correctly, he had, obviously, the Texans taking a quarterback, the Colts taking a quarterback, and he had the Seahawks as the wild card taking a quarterback at five, and then the Panthers at uh, eight or nine. I can't remember where they are exactly. So, four quarterbacks in the top ten for Mel Kuyper's first, but again, no trades. So... Yeah. What does that mean? Frank Reich has a situation to figure out. Uh, clearly, you don't take that job unless that entices you. So I think that they've got a plan in mind. Another interesting nugget from this week is Dan Quinn decided to go back to Dallas, mm-hmm. mostly because he just loves the job there. I take it he likes living there. I take it he likes working with McCarthy and with Jerry Jones. And I'm sure he likes being on a winning franchise right now. Yeah. And they've got all the talent in the world on that defense. Micah Parsons might be single-handedly the most physically imposing defensive lineman I've ever seen. In two seasons. Uh, it's amazing what he's done. I watched him throw, uh, what's, I forget his first name, McGlinchey. Mike? Mike McGlinchey. Mike yeah. McGlinchey. I watched him throw him down with one arm. It's like a 150-pound difference. And McGlinchey is like the Hulk. Yeah. I've never seen a human being like that. Maybe Jared Valdir is the best comparison I have, where Jared Valdir was just a Hulk. That's a good one. And he threw that human being to the ground with one hand. Anyway, I digress. So how much credit do you give to Peter Schrager as far as I love inside information? Okay, so he was on Bill Simmons' podcast. It aired Thursday, and it aired after the Reich news, but before the Dan Quinn news. Okay. But he said a lot of really intriguing stuff to Bill Simmons. Arizona is the one that's interesting. Sean Payton's meeting with them today. I don't think that's no necessarily way. the fit. Stop I don't it. see it. I think Peyton's probably coming back to Fox, to be honest. And it's not because there were no jobs available. I think that he was being picky also, and he's got a certain price that maybe these owners were just to has to wait a year, and then he can be the LA Chargers head coach. There'll be more out. jobs. There'll you be more jobs available. Got to get one of those five quarterbacks. Um, yeah. So Arizona, though, I'm hearing, and this might change by the time it is. I'm hearing either you know the the two names that are leading the way are, are Dan Quinn is getting a lot of buzz, and then the other one was Brian Flores for a while. But the Flores Kyler match is a very interesting one. Also, oh, Flores is a no nonsense no nonsense guy. That would be a rude awakening uh, for Kyler Murray. The only thing that would be more fun than Flores Kyler is Aaron Rodgers becoming a Jet. Oh, I hope it happens. So there's a few things that I take away from that. Primarily with Peyton, them thinking it's not a fit when there's been the exact opposite argument we heard from Ian Rappaport just a couple of minutes ago, right? Like, is Sean Payton a fit or not? I don't, I get, I get people have differences in opinion, but I would think that the offensive guru who helped turn around a six foot something quarterback and saved his career turned him into a first ballot Hall of Famer. I would imagine that would be the perfect guy for a six-something or not even six-something quarterback here in Arizona. Yeah, I, I think there's a fit. Uh, Peter Schrager is much more dialed into this sort of relationships of all this than I am, but I think that it's fair to say that Sean Payton could be a fit here. It's not like he's round peg, square hole kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, you can make it work. No, it's like the round point and about like Flores, or something. The, whatever it is. The <laughs> point of the... Uh, 
The point about Flores is interesting to me because he's always kind of been in that same spot throughout this entire process. I've always felt he was a serious candidate. And we said, well, you and I were on the air on MLK Day when the Cardinals announced the hiring of Monty Austinfort. And what did I say in that first segment when we were reacting? I think I figured it out. It's got a connection to New England that they've been together for a while. They a both la. were in New England for over a decade together. Yeah. Now, granted, one was in scouting. The other one was in coaching. But that was the obvious connection right away, right? That the GM, if any of these candidates fit the GM perfectly, it was Brian Flores. So that made sense. I've always felt Brian Flores was in the conversation. It's just uh, Sean Payton comes to town on Thursday and... Cam Cox at Channel 12 gets pictures of him in the parking lot with Michael Bidwell, and that's oh, exciting so to everybody. Exciting. Even though we all kind of knew he was going to have to park his car at some point, it's right? It's Peyton Manning <laughs> visiting with Ken Wisenhunt all over again. Right, and it's the fact that he stayed all day, and then he flew to Dallas that night. Ooh, is he meeting mm. with Kyler Murray in his recovery, mm. or does he just live in Dallas? <laughs> I'm not really sure. That's a good point. Um, so there's all this hype. Every It, it depends on the day. Thursday, I think most people would have told you, oh, Sean Payton's definitely the leading candidate. And I think Monday, uh, after we we might find out that they're going to interview D'Amico Ryans. That could still happen. I mean, then thought, he's the favorite all We all thought sudden. it was Dan Quinn on Wednesday, and then he decided to stay on Thursday. But the one consistent factor in all of this, maybe two consistent factors, is Vance Joseph and Brian Flores, in my mind. Because Brian Flores is always, never really linked to any other head coaching job. He was linked to Atlanta's D.C. job. I think he interviewed for another D.C. job. But at the same time, he always seemed like one of the prime candidates here. And then I think Vance Joseph deserves to be in that conversation. Not that I think they'll do it. Not that I think they'll promote him. But that he's always going to be in the building. Is it just me or does Vance Joseph, with no disrespect to the job that Vance Joseph has done, and that's me putting aside a lot of bias in this statement, it feels like the last ditch effort hire promoting Vance Joseph. Right? Like you got left with the scraps and are you, you had put, to do something. Are you putting an emphasis on changing the culture of your organization or are you not? Why did you hire a dude that has 15 years of experience with Bill Belichick, among many others in New England? Why are you emphasizing casting a net far and wide? And yet part of that casting a net far and wide is casting the net literally within five feet of you. Yeah, one candidate in-house. Granted, it is one candidate in-house, but you also passed over two in-house candidates for your general manager job. I feel like you're gone. You're kind of going back on your ideal plan if you remain in-house. That's not to say Vance Joseph is a bad coach. That's not to say Vance Joseph would be the wrong hire as coach. But if you're trying to progress progress, and get away from what has been the last four years, you cannot hire from within. I think, so can I amend what I said a week ago? Sure. When I said Frank Reich and D'Amico Ryans were the two interesting candidates for me. That's now changed, obviously, with Frank Reich being employed by Carolina. Mm-hmm. For me, the top two candidates, Sean Payton. And D'Amico Ryans. But D'Amico Ryans is interested, reportedly, in the Houston job, because he cut his teeth there as a player. And also the Broncos are very interested in him. The Broncos also have possibly a leg up on Sean Payton as well. So the Broncos are... Sean Payton's tweeting out defending the organization after this Cardinals interview. Right. 
The Broncos are interesting in all of this because they could hire Ryans, they could hire Peyton, and they could do it before either of the other two teams have a chance at their candidate, and the Cardinals could be left out in the dark and having to pick between the rest of the pack. Look, as long as D'Amico Ryans doesn't get hired somewhere to then just get fired a year later because it's not the direction we wanted to go, then I'm fine with it. That's all I ask, Houston Texans. Coming up next, the NBA trade deadline is just around the corner. Who should the Suns be targeting? Next on Arizona Sports Saturday.